Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode on my channel, The Dissenter. Today I will be talking with Dr. Louis Goldberg. Just to present you to Dr. Louis Goldberg, he is an American personality psychologist and a professor emeritus at the University of Oregon. He is closely associated with the lexical hypothesis that says basically that any culturally important personality characteristic will be represented in the language of that particular culture. And this hypothesis led to the discovery of a five-factor structure of personality trait adjectives, which he dubbed the Big Five. So basically today we'll be talking with one of the fathers of the Big Five personality traits. Dr. Louis Goldberg, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you a lot for taking the time. You're welcome. Okay, great. So, okay. So to start off with, I guess that the first question I would pose to you is, could you talk a little bit about the scientific basis and perhaps the historical precedents of the lexical hypothesis? Because as far as I know, it started with, with some work done by Sir Francis Galton, right? That's correct. Um, uh, he, he was the first, he didn't use the phrase lexical hypothesis. Right. Um, I guess I, I gave us that, but uh, he was, he, he started the whole thing off. Um, you want more than that, of course. Okay, so Galton started it off, Alport and Odbert, uh, published uh, a compendium of uh, the personality, well, I'm sorry, of individual difference terms uh, in the English language. Cattell yes. um, used that uh, for developing his own system. Uh, Warren Norman uh, then took on the task of trying to uh, bring it forward. Uh, at some point, he gave up, and I took over. And um, by dint of some work and a lot of luck, um, we now have, uh, out of the chaos of every uh, personality psychologist having his own system, we now have pretty much a universal system. Uh, for classifying individual differences in personality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and I would like you also to tell us a little bit about the story behind the development or the discovery, let's say, of the big five personality traits. Because uh, as far as I know, in the 70s, there were two teams of researchers working uh, on these. One of them was led by Paul Costa and Robert McRae of the National Institutes of Health, and the other one was by you and also by Warren Norman from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, right? So, and um, these two teams, yours and the team of Robert McRae, you had two different approaches to this, as far as I understand it. you you were led by the lexical hypothesis and Robert McRae and Paul Costa 
more by the questionnaire methodology, let's say, right? Could you please talk a little bit about that, about what happened in the 70s with your team and Robert McRae's team and so on? Well, um, okay. Um, the lexical hypothesis, which is that the most important individual differences will be encoded in the languages of the world, Mm -hmm. um, uh, was one embraced by Warren Norman. I was a graduate student at the University of Oregon, um, yes. was working on my doctoral dissertation, and a, um, a professor who was on my dissertation committee went on sabbatical, and my department chair, uh, chairman, selected Warren Norman to be a substitute. And from that point on, we became very close friends and collaborators. Um, the, the way you introduced the two teams is slightly different in the sense that, um, in some sense, we came first. That is, the electrical work was what paved the way for McRae and Costa to develop the, their um, personality questionnaire. Right. So there were, um, there were some um, important um, conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, them was the uh, Western Psychological Association meeting, I think, in ha in Honolulu, uh, Hawaii, and um, I presented the what eventually became uh, the 1990 uh, article. I presented that those analyses there. Um, Costin McRae had already developed a questionnaire called the NEO for neuroticism, extroversion, and openness to experience based on their analyses of the scales in Raymond Cattell's 16 personality factor questionnaire. So they already had a three-factor or three-domain questionnaire. Mm -hmm. On the basis of the new uh, findings that were presented at the Western Psychological Association meeting and other places, they realized that three domains was too few, that they needed to include also um, the domains of agreeableness and conscientiousness. And so they revised the NEO, uh, became the NEO-PIR, and it was, it was then a derivative of the lexical work that um, I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, that's to put them down in any way, they did an extraordinary amount of work in relating all the other, many of the other uh, personality inventories to their 
um, to their inventory and showing that the other ones uh, could be accommodated by um, what they called the, the five-factor model. So th the history is that um, they were influenced by the lexical work, but they themselves did not do any lexical work. Rather, they had uh, already devised a three-factor uh, personality inventory, which they then um, revised to make it a five-factor one. And then from that point on, they started um, working with that revised NEO and um, did an enormous amount of important research showing the extent to which all kinds of other um, inventories and measures and models could be incorporated within a five-factor framework. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I understand. Uh, okay, and just for people to understand a little bit better, what type of data and what amount of data did you collect in order to try to analyze uh, the most frequently used uh, adjectives in English to try to characterize someone in terms of their personality that then led via factor analysis, of course, to the big five? Well, okay, it, it began with the Alport and Odbert compendium. Uh, they went through an abridged dictionary of the English language, pulling out words that can be used to describe ways in which people differed from each other. Uh, they divided those words into four lists, uh, one of which was, in their judgment, uh, personality stable, personality traits. Mm -hmm. um, Warren Norman um, then took that work and brought it forward. He used a uh, more modern version of the dictionary that Alpert and Odbert had used. Um, and he gathered empirical data on um, uh, a subset of those words used to describe personality traits. And for reasons unknown, he, he, while he had thought he would do the follow-up empirical investigations, that is, uh, administering those words to people and asking them to describe themselves and other people, he actually never did that. Uh, he gathered information about the words themselves, their social desirability, the, the extent to which uh, uh, people found them familiar, um, and that kind of thing. But he didn't actually um, administer them to samples of subjects asked to describe themselves or other people, so that uh, he was not able to do factor analytic work uh, on the structure of those w words. Mm -hmm. um, did that. 
um, in the middle to late 1980s, uh, administering various subsets of words to samples of subjects, primarily American college students, but not exclusively, sure. and um, then used the technique called factor analysis to look at the relations among those words, the factors that might underlie those relations, and out of that came what I dubbed the big five factor structure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what would you say are the limitations of these methodologies in, in trying to find what are the many manifestations of individual differences in humans in terms of personality? Because, I mean, uh, do they really do they really capture all the possible manifestations of human personality in this case the big five yeah of course not um, there you know there there's there's lots more but the major um, the, the major dimensions uh, in the Western world, the modern of modern world languages, uh, are fairly well captured by a big five or big six model. But uh, the fact is that um, the major limitation of all that work is that it's based on. Um, weird samples. It's based on Western, uh, educated, uh, you know, uh, industrialized, uh, rich and democratic, rich, right? Democratic, uh, yes, countries. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, uh, so more recently, uh, Gerard Saucier and, uh, more recently me, um, we, we have trying to expand this work into relatively isolated languages, uh, languages of tribes that have had limited contact both with each other and with modern world uh, societies. And what we're looking for are relatively ubiquitous personality concepts that seem to be uh, available in most of the languages of the world, including some uh, yeah, uh, uh, th that have not been studied before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so would you say that perhaps the final goal, uh, as far as this methodology uh, goes, is that for personality psychology it would be for for us to obtain, uh, to validate it sufficiently, cro both cross-culturally and cross-linguistically. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, and and um, the 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 cross-culturally and cross-linguistically is only really just starting. Mm -hmm. That is the the reason I'm here. It, even though I'm doing that at the present time, the reason I'm here is based on the work that I did, in, in, you know, in the 20th century, 
um, that was uh, primarily based on um, modern world samples. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because at a certain point you refer to uh, I guess only on passage about the another scale or another model of personality structure that is the execo model of personality structure because you say that we could classify also people in terms of personality in six factors, right? So, uh, wh what is the difference between the Execo model of personality structure and the big five. It's it's simply the fact that the execo also includes the factor of uh, honesty and uh, honesty slash humility. Yes. Um, um, uh, Ashton and Lee, who are the major proponents of the hexaco model. Mm -hmm. um, discovered that model, um, discovered those six uh, dimensions in some of their early work and have been um, usefully and productively applying the model to a variety of uh, other kinds of, um, uh, of languages. Um, Yes, the major difference uh, between the five and six factor model is that the six factor model has an additional dimension, namely honesty, humility. And um, there is something in the way of a minor uh, controversy at the moment as to whether um, it. it in my view, the structure of the, of the factor structure um, is five-dimensional, but because there are so many words that are uh, associated with uh, issues of morality, um, sticking another dimension into the middle of that pile uh, turns out to be a useful ploy in terms of uh, cross-cultural um, concordance. So I, I still believe that uh, there are probably five uh, independent dimensions uh, of, uh, involved in the um, in factor analyses of those kinds of words. But um, certainly having the sixth honesty, humility factor in there is useful for various kinds of purposes. The difference between them, the two models is not enormous, of course. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And okay, you already said here that one of the main advantages of the development of the big five factor personality model was that it allowed for the sort of the homogenization uh, and to allow for personality psychology researchers to have a common model to study human personality, right? But uh, another thing that I think is that, 
back then when it was developed and even nowadays uh, other alternatives uh, weren't really never scientifically validated like the Myers-Briggs for example right yeah well I mean okay I I, 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 I earlier drew attention to the the uh, babble of different um, theories and measures that um, personality psychology had over the years. Um, the fact is that we really couldn't talk to each other um, with every theorist having his own measure. Um, there was no common way of specifying a, a, a generic uh, personality structure back in those days. Mm -hmm. um, so as a consequence, um, the field was, was chaotic. I mean, we used the word Tower of Babel, but it was a chaotic experience. Nowadays, at the very least, you know what you must include if you wish to be comprehensive. You know that you want at least a sampling of each of the five major domains. Uh, and so as a consequence, people can build measures of, that relate to those five domains. They can use them in a wide variety of different applied con uh, contexts. And as a consequence, uh, the cross-conversation uh, between scientists has improved enormously. Oh, it was about if uh, you think that whatever set of personality traits and ventures that we develop in the future after all of the cross-culture and cross-linguistic analysis that we still have to do, if you think that all of the traits that will be part of those inventories will always be heritable and partially innate. Yes, absolutely true. Uh, it's very, very hard to think of anything much that isn't uh, heritable. I mean, I, um, any uh, animal breeder uh, will tell you that. I mean, uh, animals, of course, have traits and, uh, that they're something like uh, they can be classified as personality traits. Uh, people who keep dogs and cats and such uh, refer to them in ways that um, uh, you would refer to people. And uh, yes, of course, uh, uh, personality is in part, uh, in large part, um, inherited um, and uh, it's also a function of the experiences that we have uh, as we go through life mm -hmm. exactly and it's interesting that you just referred to other animals because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is if uh, the big five personalities, personality traits have already been successfully demonstrated as occurring in other animal models apart from humans. Yes, yes. Um, it, of the big five, mm -hmm. the easiest 
four um, to uh, replicate in other uh, animal species um, are, are the ones that do not include conscientiousness. That's a poor way to say that. I'm going to say that of the five, conscientiousness is the one that is most difficult to establish in uh, a animal species because conscientiousness has to do with uh, how one does one's work, how, uh, how, how one organizes uh, work-related activities, uh, how responsible one is in regard to uh, doing work-related things. Now, there are some kinds of animals that uh, do, in fact, work <laughs> in the human sense, and uh, you, we can find conscientiousness as a personality trait there. But there are others for which it's kind of weird. Um, that, and, but the other four are e easy to find um, in all kinds of different uh, animal species. Mm -hmm. Okay, and okay, the, the, I guess that there are people who say that because we can find such differences in terms of personality in pre-cultural individuals like other animals and even young, very young infants, uh, that they then belong to temperament and not really personality. I mean, what do you say about this? And by the way, what's the difference between temperament and personality? Traditionally, temperament has been used to characterize babies and young children. And the term personality has been more likely used for older children, uh, adolescents, and adults. That is the traditional uh, use within developmental psychology. Um, there is no question, however, that whatever you, word you use, to, to describe individual differences um, in either temperament or personality. They blend into each other, that whatever the dimensions of temperament are, they become the dimensions of personality as the child grows older. So, I mean, this is the same stuff, and it's not surprising that... Um, you can describe uh, children, certainly by the time they get to uh, uh, school, probably to preschool, uh, in terms of the big five uh, personality factors. Mm -hmm. Okay, and now about the 10 aspects, because eventually the big five branched into also 10 aspects and each of the traits branched into two different aspects, right? Uh, does it render the study of personality more rigorous to also have these 10 aspects? I think it's very useful. Um, that's Colin DeYoung's work. Um, he showed that um, you can take each of the big five factors and um, and find sort of prototypical uh, core parts of them, two for each of the factors. 
And, and he developed scales to measure those. Um, they have proved to be very useful in a variety of different contexts. I think it's good work. It's interesting work. It's, uh, it, it doesn't in any way render the big five obsolete, sure. but it sure enhances the use, usefulness of those five uh, factors. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because it seems that uh, there are some robust findings uh, in terms of gender differences across countries and cultures uh, when it comes to the big five divided into the ten aspects. It seems that each sex or gender tends to fall under uh, one of the aspects as opposed to the other. Yeah, that again, that work again is based on modern world languages, modern cultures. Um, yes. I, I don't know of any such work that involves isolated uh, languages uh, of the kind that we're starting to study now. So I wouldn't want to say, I wouldn't want you to say that well, the, there are uh, kind of uniform gender-related uh, individual differences in all of the uh, societies of the world, because I don't think we are anywhere near the point of saying something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, okay, and now about... Uh, we already talked a little bit about this, but we haven't referred to the name, I think about the International Personality Item Pool that is managed by the Oregon Research Institute. What would be the final aim of the scientific endeavor, if there's any? Oh, sure. There, there are a lot of them. Um, um, I started that um, in an effort to try to unblock the commercialization of personality measures. Prior to the development of the International Personality Item Pool, or the IPIP, uh, multi-scale inventories, the California Psychological Inventory, the, the uh, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, uh, you mentioned the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Uh, um, it, all of those were were proprietary instruments. They were they they were commercial products sold by testing in uh, testing companies, and it, it, it's it's ironic because one of the most popular of those inventories, those commercial inventories, was the one that you developed, that you already mentioned, namely the NEO, NEO revised inventory. And it, what's ironic about it is that the developers of that inventory were working for the United States government. And so their salaries and the, and the money that was used 
to popularize that inventory uh, came from American taxpayers. But in fact, it's a commercial inventory and, you know, you pay if you want to use it. And I, I thought that um, personality measures should be in the public domain. They should be available for people to, to change if they want to, to adopt for their own purposes. They should be uh, freely available uh, because they're a scientific resource. They shouldn't be something that is proprietary, um, that is sold commercially. Um, I have no objection to uh, commercial establishments selling uh, IPIP-based products. There are many, many of those out on, on, available. But, they, the, but the basic ideas, the basic scales, the basic items ought to be avail freely available for scientists uh, who don't have money to pay uh, commercial rates for um, uh, buying uh, products. They should be available freely for everybody. And that includes students um, and, uh, you know, uh, young scientists who don't have uh, uh, the resources that uh, some do. So, I mean, the, the effort was, uh, was to develop a, a site where people, scientists around the world, could go to and find nearly 3,000 or around 3,000 uh, items, um, all of a, sim of a similar kind. Uh, they could find measures that included those items. Um, and uh, over the years, we have provided um, translations of what started out to be um, English language measures into a wide variety of different other languages, and that's all available at the website. Um, we list their publications that have employed the IPIP scales. Um, we list their information about how the scales were developed. We list information about how they might be used uh, we have a plea for uh, research using them. Uh, it's a fairly rich uh, site. And uh, my colleague, John A. Johnson, is the IPIP consultant who helps me run that and, uh, and will someday be the uh, grand master of the IPIP uh, himself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Dr. Goldberg, perhaps just one last question before we end our talk here, that is, do you think that uh, the big five personality traits could be usefully applied, for example, in clinical psychology, that, that it could have a clinical use to try to help people by better understanding in an objective way their personality differences? Absolutely. There is, we haven't uh, talked about this, but 
there are a number of five-factor models and inventories being developed for um, the assessment of psychopathology, specifically for uh, personality disorders, and to some extent for um, a wider variety of uh, psychopathological conditions. And that's, that work has been influenced by the big five uh, normal personality domains. And um, indeed, some of the work is a direct extension of the um, normal personality domains to aspects of um, uh, personality disorders. Uh, initially, um, you could think of the situation as somewhat like this, that you, you have these uh, normal personality uh, factors and people could be extreme uh, to extreme on either end of them, of each of them. And uh, that might be bad. That might get people into trouble. And so that idea that um, that that um, that you could be too uh, extroverted or too introverted is an example of one of those domains um, might in fact be a way of looking at and classifying psychopathology, and that's proved to be quite useful. That idea that. Um, most people uh, are in the middle uh, of, of each of these uh, broad personality traits, and uh, you can be, you can go overboard uh, in uh, in at least one one uh, pole, maybe even some in some cases both poles of a particular factor. So yes, there's a lot of work going on at the moment on the classification of um, uh, personality traits in um, psychopathology. It's a very active, uh, very interesting um, field. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Dr. Goldberg, before we finish, would you like perhaps to share with people where they can find and follow your work on the internet. <laughs> I don't know if you're active on social media or not. So anything no, like that. I'm not, I'm not active in Facebook or anything like that. But I have, I, I certainly, I have two um, um, sources that people can use. I have, if they contact me, and I am lewg at ori.org. They can get a uh, PDF version of all of my uh, publications um, in reverse chronological order. So if they bookmark that particular site, they can then uh, see what new things are, uh, appear there. Um, in addition, of course, we've already referred to the, the uh, International Personality Item Pool, 
and that's freely available and uh, out there for people to use. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Dr. Goldberg, again, it was really a pleasure to talk with you today. I really love your work, so thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming to my channel and for watching this interview until the end. As you might have noticed, I've started this channel last February and have been putting out regular interviews with academics and intellectuals from a variety of fields. To keep the channel sustainable, I would like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and to consider making a pledge. Any amount, even $1, would already be a great help. Otherwise, if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like and hit the subscription button. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my patrons, Karen Litzke, Anne Blanchett and Per Helge Larsen. Thank you for all.